Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Karen Hamill, regulatory expert and trainer for Hale & Hardy, about what businesses need to know about emergency preparedness. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Karen Hamill, regulatory expert and trainer for Hale & Hardy. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Jay. Before we start talking about emergency preparedness, and I know I've had you on several times, but if you want to give us a, a, a brief uh, reminder of uh, what you do uh, for Hale & Hardy, that would be great. Sure. I am a regulatory expert and trainer, so essentially what I am doing is researching regulations and helping customers, helping clients, helping anyone really come up with ways to be better able to comply with those things, whether it's a regulation or an industry standard or even new directives that have come out. Just kind of looking for ways to digest that and and bring it down to a common level that is applicable and helps people implement the things that they need to do. Excellent. Well, today I wanted to talk to you about emergency preparedness uh, and I guess when evaluating their emergency preparedness, where should businesses start? I like to tell people to start locally. And one of the really great resources that's out there in every community is the local emergency planning committee and their local emergency management agency. And these are usually run at the county level. In some cases, they may be at a city level. For example, in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia being the two largest cities, they both kind of have their own organization but typically throughout the rest of the state and and most other states, it's going to be at the county level. And these are great resources because they are connected to the first responders in the area. So they have a really good feel for what is happening in your area. They have access to commodity flow surveys, so they can help you understand what kind of chemicals are coming through your area. They also are connected with a lot of resources that are in the area. This is great because if you identify a need in your plan and it's something that you're not going to stock or supply at your facility, they're able to kind of give you guidance on where to go to either obtain that service or get a contract with somebody who might offer that service when you do have an emergency. Another thing that I really think is important for organizations and facilities to do is to really do a good risk analysis, the same way that you would for any other safety thing at your facility. So for example, if you were starting a new process, you would do that job hazard analysis or that job safety analysis or both to understand what those things may be that you need. You need to kind of do the same thing for emergency preparedness as well. Uh, What does OSHA require for emergency preparedness? OSHA really doesn't have a set emergency preparedness standard. However, there are some different regulations that require you to be prepared. One of the ones that applies to most facilities is to have an emergency action plan. And essentially what that's doing is to say, when there's an emergency, here's what our facility is going to do. We're going to evacuate our people. Our people are going to go to this spot to to make sure that we've accounted for everybody. We're going to have these procedures in place for anybody who needs to shut down an operation before they leave. So that's one that applies to a lot of people. If you are subject to process safety management, there are requirements there to be, I'm sorry, to be prepared for emergencies. There is OSHA's HAZWOPER standard for anybody who has 
large amounts of hazardous chemicals and, and has people who are responding to spills of those chemicals. Uh, lockout tagout has some requirements for that, confined space. So they're, they're kind of filtered and, and, and stuck into a number of the different regulations and standards, but there isn't, unfortunately, there isn't a succinct one that there is to follow. Now, OSHA is working on an emergency response standard that they hope to have a proposed rollout this fall, actually September, so anytime now, but that's really more for response, not so much for preparedness. Um, and how often should you train your employees on your emergency action plan? Regularly. Uh, it, it's something that we tend to let fall by the wayside because again it's not something that OSHA says you've got to do it every so every x years or every three times a year or whatever but it is something that is so important that we do want to make sure that we bring it to a forefront and this is something that you can do in a lot of different ways so this is if you're doing it with fire drills maybe you do it quarterly if you are putting it in with other trainings maybe it's something that you mention as part of a weekly training or a monthly training it doesn't mean that you have to have a full drill every every time but it is something that you want to keep in the forefront of people's minds so that when that emergency happens they do know what to do unfortunately Emergencies aren't happening every day, so it's not something that we necessarily use or think of. So the more often that we can remind people of that, the better they'll be able to do it when the time does come to need that. And of course, you never know when there's going to be an emergency. So <laughs> if exactly. you haven't trained in a while, you're, you could be in trouble. Exactly. Things could change. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some items that companies typically overlook when they're doing emergency planning? I think one of the biggest things that people overlook is the need for communication. And communication is something that even for professional responders and people who are doing this every single day, it, it's one of the things that they are always looking to drill and always looking to rehearse. And that communication can be with a lot of different types of entities. It could be amongst your employees. It could be for families, it could be communication with the media, whatever that plan is. I think that's something that we can easily overlook because it's not it's not necessarily a tight process. It's not as easy as saying, okay, we're going to shut down this machine. We are going to then continue out exit A. It, mm -hmm. It's it's not as neat as as the rest of the things that we need to do when it comes to emergency preparedness. So that's one that that I think that companies will typically overlook. Another one is accountability, making sure that once people have evacuated, that you've got everybody out of the building, that you you've got those checklists ready, you've got the people who are at that assembly point to make sure that that everybody has gotten out of the building. And if not, who's going to go look for them and how are they going to do that? So that the whole accountability piece is something that's that's easy to overlook. And, and last, I think uh, the, the third top thing that people forget to do is to coordinate with local emergency responders. And this is one that, that I always remind people of that when you do have an emergency, that's not the time to be meeting your first responders for the first time. Yeah. It's great to have that association already built. 
and to to know those people who are coming. And that's that's one that I learned firsthand. I worked at a facility that had a very large fire. It actually destroyed an entire building, the entire warehouse of of the facility. And I was really grateful that I already knew those first responders who was come who were coming. I knew the firefighters. I knew the police chief. I knew the media. I I had developed all of those relationships. And actually, I did that from being a member of the local emergency planning committee. But when those faces came, I knew those faces. I I knew their capabilities. I knew what they were going to be able to do and how they were going to be able to help. And and and. They were, also, they were also able to know that, oh, Karen has this skill set. She knows these things. I know that I can go to her for this information, or she will know who to go to. So it's, it's the ability to be that liaison when you do have an emergency, even if you're not the one that will be responding, just to, to know that face and to know other people's skill sets is just fantastic when there is an emergency. If, if somebody hasn't already, how do you go about building those relationships with uh, community responders? Uh, is it sort of through doing things like tabletop drills or or uh, or emergency meetings? Like how, you know, how do you sort of reach out and get that going? I think the, the first place to start would be with that local emergency planning committee. And that's one that, again, like like the EMA, like the emergency management agency is usually established at the county level. And the great thing about it is it is a nice mix of facilities in your area, in your county that have usually that have hazardous chemicals and it is those first response agencies. So it's got that great representation. And the nice thing about that is when there are county drills or when other facilities are having drills, usually that's kind of a network within your community to let you know when those things are happening so that you you can be part of those tabletops and you can be part of those discussions and and get to know those people. That's the best way that I have found to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, how often uh, should you review and update your emergency action plan? Your emergency action plan is, because it can tend to be a standalone plan, one best practice that I have found is when I am updating any other plan, whether it is a, a plan that has to do with EPA or OSHA or whatever that plan may be, for, I then go back and look at my emergency action plan. Because if if you're changing a process, that could change the way that somebody needs to exit, or that could change the procedure somebody needs to follow before they can exit the building. The, those little things, it's it's just that, that that home management of change theory. When when I look at one plan, it could have those unintended consequences for everything else. So I, I tend to do that whenever I am looking at any other plan. And when I make those updates, I, I make sure to check that plan as well to make sure that if duties have changed, responsibilities have changed, procedures have changed, that they all get reflected within that EAP. And I guess it's important also to know in terms of contacts uh, on the community, you know, from the community responder level, you know, if somebody leaves, there's a new chief, there's a new, you know, point person, you've got to update your plan with that information as well, right? Yes, yes, you do. And that's something that is that can be very, very hard to change, especially when you look at the volunteer companies that are within within different areas. We know that, especially within the fire services, a lot of those agencies are volunteer agencies, at least they are in in my state. Mm -hmm. And 
they they can change annually. Sometimes they can change every six months. And it can be extremely hard to keep up on that. So at least annually, you want to make sure just give give that phone number a ring, give the email, a, give them a quick email saying, hey, thinking about you, uh, wanted to make sure all my contact information and also your suppliers, not even just the first responders, but anybody who you're relying upon for materials or services, make sure that those contacts are still valid. Uh, one that in particular that I think of is anytime you've got some kind of a rental company. So if you think that you're going to be able to rent a backhoe, make sure that company is still in existence. I know around here, they the, those names and faces tend to change a lot more often. So whatever whatever those numbers are, whether they are the first responders or service agencies, if you think that you're going to get a fleet of school buses to come evacuate your facility, make sure that those school buses are running, make sure that if it's the summer, they can get drivers for those buses. Just having those things in place beforehand and, and remembering to check on them regularly, even if it is twice a year, it, it is time consuming, but it is something that's well worth it when there is an emergency. Um, I wanted to ask you about business continuity. Um, you know, sort of in the aftermath of an emergency, uh, what are some things to consider uh, about continuity, keeping, you know, whether to keep the business open, uh, who's sort of, you know, I guess sort of in charge of things and, you know, those kinds of things. What are what are some of your thoughts on business continuity? It, business continuity is something that I have really been focused on for the past five years because we see we've seen so many more emergencies and so many more disasters that and, and businesses without a plan are the ones that take longer to recover. And I really like the NFPA 1600 standard that was established. And I like it because it really pulled from a lot of different agencies. It pulled from FEMA, it pulled from OSHA, it pulled from the Red Cross and really kind of made a nice structure for businesses who are just getting started with their plans. I like it also because it takes an all hazard focus where a lot of business continuity plans, they they can kind of get siloed and look at just IT operations and, and restoring your IT or restoring different sections of your business. Yeah. I like that one because it really focuses on all of the different things. So it focuses on having your communication plan, of course, having your IT plan, doing that business impact analysis, how you're going to, you know, making sure that your, your vendors are going to be there after, after a large-scale disaster, making sure your supply chains are robust, looking at your customer data and how to keep it secure, having planning in place for, for your employees. Do you need to, are you going to need to shelter them for a while? Do they have a home to go to? Or are there, is their focus going to be on restoring their, their home before they can come back to work? All those different things that we don't necessarily think about when we're focused just on one element of that continuity plan. Um, I also wanted to ask you about, um, what are some good resources for uh, templates, plans, uh, other kinds of uh, information? Uh, who would, where would you recommend folks go to kind of find information like that? The the ones that I like there, the Red Cross has one 
that is really good if you are just getting started as a business. So it's it sort of helps to get you thinking about it. The, the focus on it is mainly disaster preparedness, which which is great. Uh, one thing that that I do say with any template, and, and like I said, there's is a great start. FEMA has a lot of great resources if you go into their ready business section. Mm-hmm great templates there that that really help you to have that broader all hazard understanding and again the nfpa 1600 it it doesn't have a a template per se but if you're going through each each chapter you can kind of create your own template as you go i i have pulled from all of those because i don't feel that any one of them is completely encompassing. So having those different resources, those those are the three big ones that I think will really help people if they're just getting started with business continuity to to kind of get the feel for what they need. And that it's not not quite as simple as filling in all the blanks, but at right. least it tells you where where you need to go to look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you feel like businesses are better prepared for emergencies nowadays than maybe they were 10, 15, 20 years ago? I definitely feel that businesses are better prepared now than 10 to 15 years ago. However, I I am concerned that we only look at what maybe has happened in the past for our facilities. And it's important to also look at those risks that maybe we haven't faced yet. So the the big one of the big learnings and and if you're in the emergency preparedness field, one of the one of the big first things that I learned was you don't get to pick your disaster. You don't get mm-hmm. to pick your emergency. And that, that really, you know, as a young responder, 25 years, 25 years ago, that was, that was kind of like, Oh, wow, you're right. Oh, I'm so prepared. If we have a fire, I'm so prepared if we have a chemical spill, but I'm not prepared for a pandemic. I'm not prepared yeah. for a hurricane. So, so looking at, not only looking at, and, and we've, look at what has happened in the past five years. We have so many more places flooding that have never flooded before. We have more hurricanes happening in places where they hadn't happened before. So it's it's looking at, okay, we, we're prepared for this because we've gone through it before, but looking at what else is there and are we prepared for that as well? Yeah, because I guess, you know, if you're in a certain area of the country, you're, you know, you're probably prone to, you know, whether it's a hurricane or, uh, you know, earthquake forest fire, and... earth. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in California, you'd be prepared for just about anything. But you know, <laughs> if here in the Northeast, it's more. You know, you could have blizzards that could knock you out. You could have ice storms, but it's. I think it's the things that you don't expect that probably come back to to bite you the most. Exactly, and that's when I look at the first plants that I created in Pennsylvania. We never prepared for earthquakes because we just didn't have them. But then an earthquake came through and and now we do. Now we now we do look at that and we do prepare for that. Building codes are starting to look a little bit different now and preparedness is looking different because of that. But it's it's just those, oh, it's just because it's never happened here. We we can't say that much anymore. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, they they do recommend all hazards uh yes. training, but that only goes so far, right? It does, but the nice thing about all hazards training is that it gives you a framework. Mm-hmm. So when when you look at, yes, you're going to respond to a flood differently than a fire. However, you've got that framework for who is responsible for what. And 
that framework is really what's essential. And that's where that's where people need to put a lot of focus. So yes, we may have a flood or we may have a fire, but we still need to evacuate and we still need to account for all of our, our people. Who is going to do that? While the building is still underwater or while the building is burnt down, we are still going to need this critical infrastructure. We're, st mm -hmm. we're still going to need a bank of computers. We're still gonna need a place to put customer service. What does that look like and who's going to do it? So establishing, looking at the common things that you need for any hazard can really help you to develop a plan that is comprehensive and does address everything. So even though the disaster may be different, there still are a lot of commonalities that, that's kind of the nice thing when you're planning is that you don't have to create a different plan for everything. You, you can have a lot of common factors that yeah. apply to many situations. And, and obviously the plan j differs depending on, you know, type of business you have, because obviously if you have a factory versus if you have a you know, restaurant versus if you have a, you know, uh, you know, a daycare center. I mean, every you know, there's so many different factors that go into it and, and resources and things you need. Uh, so you have to Absolutely. kind of bring that into play as well. Absolutely. And that's that's a neat thing, too, is to look to trade organizations or look at your specifically what your, your type of business is, because they, they are very different. And there are templates that are specific for restaurants. And I know that at, at least in our county, there are some really great templates for for daycare centers because their needs are just so much different because they're dealing with young children who right. will need to be relocated and reunited and, and keeping track of them so that you know they they they're where you expect them to be and people can can get them can get to the children when when they need to and where they need to so those needs are just so much different than yeah, a factory that's making widgets all day and has adults working there. So yes, right. absolutely. And and there there are some great trade organizations that have just those those little niche things that you may not think about if you're using a stock template. And communication is obviously huge when you've got, you know, little kids and you need to get in touch with the parents. So you, you need to have a plan in place for that. Yes. Yes. And even even if you're not dealing with children. Yeah. Being able to, if you've got a major incident that's happened at your facility, knowing that you took these 10 people to this hospital and mm -hmm. these are those 10 people's names and they went to this hospital versus these eight people who were sent to a different one. Being able to have that information to give to a family is will just save so many hassles down the road. And, and bring comfort to that family so that they know where they're going. They're not checking every hospital in the area to go find their loved one. Absolutely. Well, Karen, great information. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, yeah, this was great. Thanks, Jay. That wraps up episode 174 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.